You have 24 minutes, the podcast from 24 Hour Nation. My name is Randall White. Music can make your city better and in more ways than you might realize at first. Let's hear about this from Shane Shapiro, founder and executive director of the Center for Music Ecosystems. Shane is also founder and chairman of Sound Diplomacy. We'll talk about the value of music audits and municipal music strategies, what a music ecosystem is, and how music can solve problems in our cities. Here are 24 Minutes with Shane Shapiro. Sound Diplomacy is a company that I founded with uh, my business partner in 2013. We're an economic consulting company. So, you know, we work with cities, governments, large organizations, property developers, really to help them understand the value of music, culture, hospitality, and nighttime economy. So we're, we're, you know, we're not that dissimilar to some of the larger big consulting companies that everyone's heard of. We're just focused on music, entertainment, culture, and leisure. When you say you work with a city, what do you do when you go into a city? Give us an example. It's quite an extensive data collection exercise is what we do. So, you know, if it's whether it's music or the wider creative economy or the nighttime economy, we will essentially audit the city's activities, um, both economic and social, as it relates to how music, culture, nighttime economy function. So that means identifying where everything is, how it fits together how much it's worth, economic and social, uh, obviously talking to lots of people and, and really helping to learn about what they think needs to change, auditing the regulatory infrastructure, uh, and producing best practice and comparisons against other places. And then once you have this kind of suite of data around your, you know, whatever it is, your music or, or nighttime economy or, or wider creative economy, it enables the community to make, you know, evidenced and intentional and deliberate decisions about what to invest in, what to change, what to rewrite, what to stop doing. Um, and, you know, so that that's what we do. We're, we're not, we, we don't really have any opinion. That's not what we are. We're just, we collect data and we hope demonstrate the data in a way that, you know, showcases that if something is changed or something is amended, the city will be better off for, uh, a variety of reasons for it. And I know you've worked in like more than 130 cities around the globe. You've also worked in North America in about 30 cities or so. One example in particular um, recently heard about was uh, your work in uh, Huntsville, Alabama, and working mm-hmm. with the city there. Tell us about a little bit about that, because that was very intriguing to hear the story of that and the interest from the yeah. mayor, Tommy Battle, in buying into the plan. Yeah, well, um, so we were hired to do what they call a music audit or a music strategy back in 2018. That came through a relationship with a property developer who uh, was developing a whole new area of Huntsville. called It's now called Mid-City, but it was a shopping mall from the 1980s that got demolished. Every city um, has one. Yeah, and, and really a vibrant kind of mixed-use community was envisaged. That developer had quite a lot of foresight and creativity. He introduced me to the city and said, you know, we want to bring, they wanted to bring culture to this mixed use neighborhood. Um, but they thought that it would be better if the city had a greater understanding of the role that music played in both economic development and quality of life. So that's how the introduction happened. And then the audit was very much an audit in the, 
I guess, definition of the word. Uh, right. It was a, um, you know, it, it was a data collection exercise of, of where everything is and how it fits together. And it identified a bunch of different things. Uh, one of them was the need to create a um, kind of an outdoor music venue, which is now the Orion Amphitheater. But there was a whole bunch of other stuff around music education, around zoning uh, and licensing, around how they dealt with um, talent attraction and uh, talent retention. So we developed a comprehensive strategy with the city. There was 49 recommendations, which is a lot. Um, but then we have been hired uh, really over the past three years, and we're still um, working with them to one at a time, go through the recommendations and implement them. Oh my and, God, 49 recommendations. Is that a document that's available anywhere? Yeah, it's on the city of Huntsville's website. So the, okay. the city paid for it. Um, every, if you Google any article written about us, we'll lead with how much we were paid at the time to do oh, it. Yeah, I don't uh, that. <laughs> pretty, pretty transparent. Um, but um, but yeah, it's all there. There's a, a 200 odd page report, which has all the data. And then there's a 20 odd page executive summary with all the recommendations. You know, so some of them we've been helping lead on. Uh, the city's obviously doing most of the work. And but also there's a number of community partners there, including the, the company that runs the amphitheater called TBG Hospitality there. They're a British company originally that I worked with in London. So the owner of that company, uh, I worked with him on another project. And, and when I had uh, gotten a handle of what the amphitheater was potentially going to be in Huntsville, I asked him if he would be interested in taking a look at it. And, you know, a few years later, here we are. Oh my gosh. Well, and I, I heard the mayor say he wants to elevate Huntsville to the same kind of position as Memphis and Nashville and Austin, uh, the sweep of Southern music cities in the States. That's a, a very ambitious thing. He likened it to the aerospace uh, industry that's yeah. in Huntsville and wanting to take off, if you will, there as well. Now, I know that Sound Diplomacy also has a couple of other, you've got a Music Cities Network, you have the Music Cities Awards. Tell us about that part of the Sound Diplomacy enterprise. When I started Sound Diplomacy in 2013, we weren't doing this kind of work. Uh, I used to be the, um, I kind of ran the music export office for the Canadian Independent Trade Association for Music here in Europe. Lots of governments have music export offices, Americans don't, Australians do, for your listeners, and, and they're very, very good at it. Um, it was only three or four years into the company that I started working with cities and it was a suite of happy accidents. Um, and when I started to talk to cities, I had the door slammed in my face all the time because like, what is a music strategy? Why should we care about music? And frankly, I didn't know what I was talking about. So we thought that the best course of action would be to bring everybody to us and pretend that we knew what we were talking about. So we created a conference called the Music Cities Convention which debuted in 2016 in the UK, um, the day before our Britain's kind of South by Southwest called The Great Escape. And, um, and that was uh, wildly successful, uh, way more than we thought it would be. And over time, this event has spawned a few other events and, and now is its own standalone company owned by Sound Diplomacy, but it's called Music Cities Events and it has a bunch of different conferences. And it also runs the Music Cities Awards, which we started, you know, to try to celebrate all this kind of stuff. And then there's an online community, which is really a grassroots initiative where anyone can come and learn about, um, you know, what this kind of topic is and, and how it works. And 
most of the take up from the music cities community, frankly, are people in kind of emerging music markets rather than you, you know, the U S or, or UK. And it's been incredible watching these events grow um, and surprising to me, trust me, uh, you know, they, I set them up as a way to, to earn business. That was, that was the purpose of them at the time, right? A business development initiative. And it's, uh, it's much more than that now. And now we have a kind of a, a church and state mentality where what happens at the events is completely separate to the work that Sound Diplomacy does on its consulting business. We share your events and conferences on the 24-hour um, nation website. We also kind of push that information out through our social media too, just to kind of help amplify, no pun intended, the work that you're doing <laughs> oh, in well, that space. Well, thank you. And, and uh, um, it's important to us that we continue to bring new people into this conversation. It's really easy to convince people that are already convinced and that's not the audience that we need to be focusing on, you know, with our events and, and with the work that I try to do. And sure, I write a lot. Uh, I used to be a, a an actual writer. So well, um, I'm going to talk about that. Let's talk okay, about that. So, you, started out yeah. as a, you started out as a journalist, a music journalist. Were you kind of like a Cameron Crowe? What were, what, tell me about that. <laughs> yeah, no. no, I just wanted to, I, I wanted to go to gigs for free. Um, and, and I was a kid. I was a, I was a teenager who didn't really want to spend that much time at home. So I, and I was working at my local music venue um, as well in um, Toronto where I grew up. So I just started writing for local newspapers. I ended up becoming the music editor of my kind of city paper at the time, not Toronto. It was um, a, a city near Toronto. And then that kind of grew and I started to write for other outlets. Uh, and while I was studying and doing my, bachelor's and then my master's degree um i essentially paid my way through being a music journalist and i see you wound up getting your phd in in cultural policy so what's that I, mean? um, what does that mean i think it just means trying to translate the value of arts and culture um as an ecology and an economy into policy making but my my phd was a history of popular music funding in canada that's what it's so I think four people have read it. So it's so let's say a pages. into the Center for Music Ecosystems, which is where you're the executive director and you founded that as well. What is a music ecosystem for people who are listening and may not understand what that means? The whole music economy, the cultural economy. Talk about what is a yeah. music ecosystem? All cities are living organisms, right? You know, I know you're in Dallas, right? Dallas um, today is different from Dallas yesterday. People leave and people come. And I believe that when you look at the breadth of uh, music in a place, it also collectively is a living organism. You know, places close, places open, gigs come, gigs go. By trying to understand that, you start to realize that if you pull the lever of one thing, it affects the other. If you have a, a challenged or, um, or poorly funded education system, I argue that that actually does impact the audience that you're creating, right? When you're educating kids... And teaching them how to play music, you're building future audiences as much as future players. And the concept of a music ecosystem is, is similar to a, a natural ecosystem where if we actually broke down the component parts, if we took something away, we could then understand how it would affect everything else, right? And what I'm trying to do with the Center for Music Ecosystems, it's a research nonprofit completely separate to sound diplomacy. And our objective is really to conduct, you know, globally relevant research that can help um, use music to solve problems in communities. And the way I'm doing that is by trying to define 
and provide clear structure, data, frameworks, and research around what this literally is, how it works, how it fits together. And that if a city then chooses to invest in, whether it's financially or politically or another way, invest in music, that there's a suite of data and resources that can help them understand the impacts of that, positive and negative. And my goal is, I would say, is, is to create a kind of a hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy for music policy. Okay. And you say how music can help solve problems. What kind of problems? So problems like how, you know, how we can age in a healthy way, um, how we can reduce harm, how can we reduce crime, how can we improve literacy? I think that hip hop is one of the most incredible literacy tools we have. Why we don't see it that way is ridiculous. It, it creates literate people who can read and write and articulate and understand how we can build uh, or rebuild or repurpose our communities to address the climate emergency. Well, give me an example of how music can do that. Well, a festival is in an essence, you know, a town that gets constructed and deconstructed in a week, right? There are a number of different, just taking a festival, for example, there are a number of innovations that happen in festivals that could be applied to living settlements, that could be applied to towns, be it through sewage, electricity, um, provision of resources, growing one's own food. And I don't think that a festival is just a festival. I think a festival is in and of itself a living lab to help us understand how we can make places better. But we don't see it that way because we just focus on the festivals are fun. And same with how venues are built, how venues are repurposed, um, how we how we design our cities from a, a soundscaping or sound and noise attenuation. Yeah. I know you work in the nighttime economy and that's a big yeah. issue is for me too. Most of most noise complaints are created in the planning stage of communities. Right. They, you know, and it's we have to think more intentionally and, and be a little bit, you know, more open-minded about how music, music's not the solution to anything singularly. It's just not, other than how can I make my day a bit better? Put some music on. But for me, music is a component of uh it's a tool in a toolbox that can help address all the big problems that we're facing in society. We just have to think about it that way. I want to talk a little bit about the Center for Music Ecosystems and its relationship perhaps with the European Union and some of the collaborations you're doing there. I saw some reference to key change, which opened my eyes a bit. The whole idea of how music sometimes can exclude groups. So we also must be intentional in inclusion. Talk to me about that. Yeah, so key change is an independent initiative. I'm, I'm incredibly proud that I played a small role in creating it with a whole bunch of other people. Uh, the first time key change actually ever happened was at a festival in Northern Spain. The Center for Music Ecosystems, we were successful in a partnership with an amazing organization called the Music Cities Network, which is a, a capacity building information sharing network of cities, mainly in Europe, to get some funding through a European funding program to build a music policy guide for cities. So this is essentially what I've told you, and it's really hard because I'm writing it right now. Probably the hardest thing I've done more than my book is trying to write guides based on um, city priorities and how music then impacts that priority. There's eight different chapters. Nighttime economy is one. That one's an easier one. But climate, um, diversity, uh, long-term strategic planning, infrastructure, tourism, and how music is a component in a better nighttime economy policy or a component in better uh, built environment infrastructure policy. So we're putting the guide out uh, sometime either later this spring or early in September. 
Um, and then I'm gonna, I'm hoping that I can then take that and replicate it in the US. Uh, and we also work with the United Nations Development Program. They're our biggest donor. Um, and the Nordic Culture Fund, which is kind of the general, uh, one of the funders that all the Nordic countries um, invests into. And really our objective is producing, you know, globally relevant research, free at the point of use, accessible um, to as many people as possible that demonstrates why music matters. Okay. And so the bottom line of almost everything you do, it sounds like, is how can music make everything better, right? Yeah. My passion is about the external value of music rather than the internal value of music, if that makes sense. I've, I've lived 15 years of my life focused on the internal value of music, kind of pivoting now. Because, you know, it, it came out of COVID for me. It's like lockdown would have really sucked without music. I agree with you. Like more than it did. Right. I, we talk a lot about data. I'm, uh, and we'll get to your book next. Data, 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 data. I hear everything about data. It's, it serves its purpose. It's the science of decision making and helps justify things. However, when we're talking about art forms, there seems to be mm -hmm. this kind of conflict, possibly, about what is ultimately kind of a soulful expression of feelings that seems not to be scientific. And then this need for data, how do you reconcile the two, the science and the art? Well, the science bit of it doesn't have an opinion, first off. That's the most important thing is that it doesn't judge or doesn't have any belief as to what the art is that it is measuring. We don't measure music or culture based on what it is. We just measure what is there. So all music, all art, all culture, so long as it's not deliberately offending someone, is of equal value. And we don't ever communicate to a city to say you should prioritize this over that from a genre perspective. We do say that you need to invest in underserved communities in specific ways, but that's just what the data tends to show. And it's usually a good economic argument. Maybe there's a misconception there when people think becoming a music city or whatever that means, or investing in music means like prioritizing certain forms of music over others. And that's not the point of any of this. We don't prioritize, you know, McDonald's over Burger King, over Arby's, over KFC. They seem to all be in our community and we all seem to accept them as fast food. And I'm sure there are fast food strategies. Hopefully, you know, maybe not a good analogy, but it's not about any particular kind of music. It's just about music in general or culture or art or dance or creative economy or nighttime economy or whatever it's defined as. Okay. I'm speaking with Shane Shapiro. He's the founder and executive director of the Center for Music Ecosystems. He's also founder and chairman of Sound Diplomacy. And in addition to being a founder and executive, Shane is also a speaker and author of a book coming out September 12th of this year, 2023, yeah. titled this must be the place, how music can make your city better. You can Everyone learn all about Shane that. and links to pre-order his book at www.shaneshapiro.com and learn about Sound Diplomacy, sounddiplomacy.com, et cetera. Well, let's talk about your book. your book. Your publisher states, this must be the place, introduces and examines music's relationship to cities, not the influence cities can have on music, but the powerful impact music can have on cities and how they are developed, built, managed, and governed. What's mm -hmm. the story you want to tell in this book, or what is the what is the guide for action here? The story I want to tell is is there's an incredible power that music has that we're never that we don't notice. That there's this incredible tool, incredible thing that we all share that we are not capturing, not capitalizing on, but it's there right? It's like a spring or an aquifer that we're not tapping from. Um, 
and that there's a clear and structure and an explainable way to do it. So the book is part autobiographical. Um, it tells some stories about some of the experiences that I've had um, doing the work that I'm doing. Uh, there's a bit of history in it to kind of look at what a music city has been defined as in the past. And, um, and also I've written in it a blueprint, which is everything that I have learned about what works and what doesn't and how it can be applied to any community. Um, and then there's a bit about what happened during COVID uh, and, uh, and how things have changed during COVID and a little bit of kind of future. Um, the final chapter is what would a perfect music ecosystem be in 2028, right? And I write what it would be from the perspective of a musician. You know, the goal of the book, I, the book is my heart. The book is, is, is me. I wanted to write it for what I call normal people. I didn't want it to be academic. Um, I wanted it to be just as simple as possible. And I wanted people to come off thinking I've never thought about music that way. And hopefully some people will act on it. But it's mainly just to try to explain that, you know, this is why I love music so much. This is why it's so important to me. And to think I never thought to ask him his favorite genre of music. Hmm. This has been Season 2, Episode 7 of 24 Minutes from 24 Hour Nation. Visit us at 24hournation.com and follow us on social media at 24 Hour Nation. My name is Randall Hwine.